Hi, everyone. Um, Um, I'll get us started by opening in a word of prayer. Um, if we can all stand. <clears throat> Dear God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for who you are to us, Jesus. God, there is no one like you, God. In all of heavens and earth, God, no one can compare to your goodness and your holiness and your mercy, God. And we just thank you, God, that we have the chance to be in relationship with you, God, and even today, God, to just look to you, God. And Lord, I pray that as I speak today, God, and as Brother Danny also comes up later, God, that you would just fill our lips, God, with what you want um, your people to hear today, God. And yeah, God, that, that you would just really allow us, God, to not leave this room, God, until we've really just seen you face to face again, God, and really been transformed and touched, God, and just conformed more to your likeness, God. And yeah, we really just desire to lift you high in our lives and look more like you every day, God. So would you just be pleased with what you see in this place, God? Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Cool. So the verse I'm going to turn to today is Romans 12, um, 1 through 2. Um. So yeah, I just want to share a little bit today about what God has been highlighting to me in the past few months in my walk with God. Um, so if we have the verse, um, it says in verses 1 through 2, Paul is writing, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So today I want to focus a lot on the second verse here, particularly the phrases, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And yeah, Paul puts these things um, once, one against the other. So Paul is really showing that there are only two options for us as human beings. Like we're either conformed to the world or we allow God to transform us um, and to really renew our minds. And so um, the first option here of being conformed to the world seems to be the default for everybody, at least everybody I know, right? Um, to be subject to the rules of the world and really follow kind of whatever the culture tells us is valuable and um, to even desire the same things that the culture tells us that we want. In a lot of our cases, it's like, you know, the best internship, the best college, best grades, maybe having a nice boyfriend or girlfriend or looking really nice on the outside, um, getting a white picket fence, nice family, like all of those things. Um, and yeah, it, it really, even the word being conformed here um, just seems to be our autopilot, and it seems to be kind of what we default to. And I know this especially um, for students on summer vacation or even when um, we go back to visit our parents for a holiday vacation. It's so tempting to just go back to being conformed to the ways of the world when you drop all of the pretense or the practices that you do usually of being surrounded by church community or praying or fasting and just go back to Netflix or go back to finding the best restaurant to eat at or um, yeah, eating nice meals, drinking nice drinks and ultimately backsliding away. But um, yeah, being so conformed to the way of the world and kind of just doing whatever the world tells you to do during vacation, right? Like Thanksgiving, you're supposed to eat a lot to the point where you have a food coma afterwards and you can't even... Um, yeah, walk, because there's just so much food. Um, 
But on the other hand, uh, what Paul says of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, transformation is really an active process, right? Um, I'm not a neurologist, I'm not a neuro major or anything, but just looking up on Google, I see that our brain has about 100 billion neurons, and each of which has up to 10,000 connections to other neurons. And so this means that our brains have as many as one quadrillion synapses, um, which means there are different pathways or connections between the neurons. And I didn't even know how to quantify one quadrillion, so it's one million trillion, so that's a lot of zeros um, and a lot of different connections in our brain. And yeah, I think just thinking about that, that means that we've spent our entire lives before Jesus really forming all these pathways and synapses and billions and millions of ways of thinking that just align with the way of the world and don't actually conform to the kingdom of God. And what does it actually take to transform those? What does it take to transform those quadrillion synapses. Um, and it, it sounds like it's so easy. Um, when I read it in the Bible, I often think like, oh, you know, just be transformed, you know, read a verse and automatically understand, like, I'm going to be righteous the next day. I know that it's wrong, so I'm not going to do this anymore. But the reality doesn't actually line up like that. And um, yeah, I just want to talk more today about what that transformation actually looks like and really encourage you as a church um, to, yeah, just not be discouraged by the process or what it looks like um, to be transformed. Yeah, so even though this is quite a popular verse, I found that a lot of Christians in this generation, including myself at times, are very much enslaved to the old thought patterns of the world. And this is especially prevalent in the way that we approach sin and in the way that we approach um, sanctification and kind of how we are to approach God when we do sin and when we do fall. Um, so yeah, I really just desire for us to be a church where we are truly transformed by the renewal of our minds and that we don't just look like Jesus on the outside, but we actually think like him. We actually see others the same way that he does. We actually, um, yeah, just have the exact same mental pathways that God has. Um, and so a verse that really reminds me of this importance of not just having an outside transformation, but being completely changed inside out is quite scary. Uh, it is Matthew 23, 27 in Jesus's rebuke to the scribes and the Pharisees for their religiosity. Um, and so he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So this is my fear that um, if we end up just focusing on the things that we know are right and just focus on what that looks like on the outside, we end up falling into this way of religiosity. We end up falling into the way of just perfecting what the tombs look like on the outside, but on the inside, we don't actually address the things in our mind that are keeping us captive to sin and the ways of the world. Um, and so, yeah, it's really important that we get this. It's, it's just so critical in the way that we relate to God. Um, and so, yeah, in the past few years, I've often found myself in this position of knowing what is right and knowing um, how to live in a holy way and kind of theoretically what that looks like as it's outlined in the Bible, but then seeing the way that I live and being very discontent with the disconnect there and the gap and kind of not knowing how to reconcile that with God. Um, and because of verses like this, for example, of um, Matthew 23, 27, I was almost afraid to confront my sin. I think I thought that um, every time that God revealed to me another way in which I was sinful or had fallen short in some way, I would feel really embarrassed and ashamed and um, 
somehow unworthy of his love. And I think this is predicated on the fact that I had a very shallow understanding of what his love for me looked like and didn't fully comprehend um, just the weight of what he's done on the cross for us um, and the power of his blood that it goes past the sin. It truly redeems us. And so, yeah, for some reason as a believer, I had considered it ridiculous to still be enslaved to certain thought patterns, tendencies, sins, behaviors, and addictions. And my expectation of God was to be just completely healed and instantly transformed and changed. Um, almost as if, you know, I had read the Bible with one commandment and immediately received that understanding and I would never struggle with this thing again. And ultimately, I also, um, yeah, just saw this in a lot of other people's lives, um, at least a lot of the testimonies that are seen online where, you know, you have um, people who are in gangs or in, um, yeah, a lot of really, really bad stuff. They do a lot of uh, 180 degree turn just away from death into life. And it seems like, God, like, how are these people just so quick to change? And yet in my life, I see that I'm constantly like the dog going back to the vomit again and again and again and again. And these, these things are not broken. And yeah, it led to a lot of frustration and hopelessness and, um, yeah, just falling prey to condemnation of just asking questions like, what is taking so long for me to change? You know, why do I love this sin so much? Is something really like not connecting in my mind um, that I'm so irredeemable before God and um, just unable to, to address these things. And another thing I want to call out with this is that living in a church like this where um, righteousness can be so emphasized, which is an amazing thing, um, I think there is also a temptation to really hide and, yeah, just be afraid of what other people may see when they see you, that um, there's a temptation to hide the sin or hide the imperfection and um, just the desire to be seen as a good Christian or somebody who's really teachable or really um, just quick to learn in God and just receptive to the work of God. And yeah, I think one example of this is not necessarily sin, but um, when we are fasting in this house, um, there's like barely any food in this house <laughs> during seasons of fasting. So I live here for those who don't know. Um, and fasting is not my strong suit. And so a lot of times, more often than I would like, I would um, break fast early and just fail and utterly fail. Um, and yeah, a tendency is to just, you know, sneak food into my room or like pull out the food drawer of the little snacks, the little Cheetos, like really unhealthy food because that's all that can last in the drawers. Um, and I was too ashamed to go down to the kitchen for fear of, oh my gosh, what if like Daniel or Esther comes out and they see me or God forbid, you know, Eliza comes and sees me, bad example to her. Um, I don't want her to know that I'm failing. And um, yeah, ultimately this is very, very toxic, very unhealthy. And yeah, I just realized like, wow, um, not only am I not helping myself by really letting this shame take hold of my life and have power over me, but I'm also contributing to creating an environment in this church where you're not allowed to be seen as less than perfect. And yeah, I was really moved one day. Um, Elias, who used to live with us as well, um, he was just eating, like, on a fasting day. He was just going to town on, like, this big chicken and full meal, and I was just weeping when I saw him, honestly, because it totally broke me seeing like, wow, you can be so free to know like, you know, there's no excuse, no reason, like it's okay. It is okay and it will be okay. And yeah, that really moved me. And I just want to encourage um, us as a church to not live in that shame or live in that fear and that need to hide everything. Just eat that chicken. If you're going to fail, just, you know, go for it. Don't eat the, the sad granola bar <laughs> or anything. 
anything like that. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, I also want to talk about how um, a lot of these thoughts of striving towards righteousness and not quite making it also were applied um, to those around me. And, you know, condemnation is just one side of the coin, but the other side is judgment towards other people. Um, and it could be so, so toxic and so, so, yeah, just totally cloud the way that you see other people and um, totally rob you of any ability to give mercy or love or compassion to those around you. And I think that was the reality that I was living in in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of judgment, bitterness, condemnation, and yeah. Um, I, I think over time I, I've started to learn that being transformed by the renewal of your mind actually requires a lot of tarrying and wrestling with God. Um, it isn't something where you can just run away from him and kind of think that if you look the part on the outside that it'll be okay and you're actually addressing the sin or the issue. Um, but God actually invites us to wrestle with him and tend to our garden in our hearts and pull the weeds away, constantly do that, constantly hunt for the foxes that are robbing us of our romance with Jesus. And yeah, um, rather than just thinking it's one and done, like God is not just a miracle pill where we can, you know, engage in his goodness once, one, one touch of his presence, and then go away completely transformed. But it's actually a relationship that he desires with us to walk with him every single day, to abide in him, to really, um, yeah, just guard our hearts and our minds against anything that would totally ruin um, what we experience with him. And yeah, one example of this, again, in my life is, um, yeah, just exposing ourselves to things um, of God rather than things of the flesh. So does anyone here have TikTok? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a great example just in this generation of how we fill our free time and even the things that we have on our apps, um, on our phones. Like I know that Daniel was talking about freedom a few weeks ago at Winter Retreat, but I just really want to continue in that vein of um, just choosing to surround ourselves with things of God. And so I had TikTok, I, I told myself, this is competitive research. I work for um, a competitor in the short form video space. And so I, I told myself, you know, I'm just learning the UI, learning about the new features that they're doing, but I was not kidding anybody. I totally was um, just spending a lot of time on that platform and ultimately like, yeah, just leading me to constantly meditate on things that were not of God and just exposing myself to the world and unnecessarily causing myself to like have to resist these thoughts. But if you didn't see it in the first place, it would be so much easier to just not even engage with these things. And so, um, yeah, just small things like that of um, just creating habits and creating an atmosphere around yourself to allow you to focus on God rather than the things of the world. Um, and so... Yeah, one, one example, too, of just a real re re revelatory moment um, of kind of seeing um, just the depths of God's love for me instead of just wallowing in sin and shame and condemnation um, I, is a scenario at work. And so, yeah, um, I was praying for God to give me a greater heart for my coworkers. And, 
yeah, throughout the past two years or so, just really asking God that he would help me to love those around me at work well. And um, at the same time, I come from a very competitive background, um, a very, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, and so a lot of pressure is put on kind of um, your position in life and like how well you do, especially in tech, and especially like um, how, how innovative are you? How insightful can you be? And what is your position? How quickly are you accelerating? Are you able to do these things um, faster than those around you, essentially? And so um, there's constantly this, this wrestling in my heart and this war in my heart between wanting to love my coworkers well, but also wanting to do well in my own career. And for the longest time as a lowly like intro level engineer, like this was not necessarily a concern at first because um, yeah, there was just no conflict. There was a lot of opportunity, but thankfully um, God let those things collide um, this December. So I had an experiment that I was really keen on launching and um, yeah, that's essentially how you get impact for the team and um, do well and are considered productive. and this experiment ended up meeting all of the bars and there's quite an extensive review process. Um, but then the very last minute, my coworker blocked this experiment saying, oh, it regresses my metric a little bit. And um, yeah, it ended up being drawn out into like a six week long discussion to the point where it ended up not being able to launch in time. And yeah, there was just a misunderstanding at the root of it. Um, but from this, I was so frustrated at him for blocking my project and even had um, such a swirl of just accusatory thoughts towards him immediately started coming into my mind of, wow, you're just so insecure. Wow, like, how could you be so selfish and short, short-sighted? Like, this is not even affecting you, your metrics that much or your career. How can you um, just do this to block me and basically forsake me? Um, not to be dramatic, but yeah. And, and with those thoughts immediately, I consider them as my own thoughts and immediately, you know, going back to the same neural pathways of condemnation of, oh, Janet, like, you should know better. You should know better as a Christian. Why do you have this immediate um, feeling towards him of, of just total hatred? Like, your love in your heart for him is so small. It's so limited. And I was so surprised with myself and shocked, which, um, yeah, I, I guess I lived under this false pretense of thinking that I had an abundance of love for my coworkers or thinking that I had overcome these things in, in my career. But in reality, God was just helping me to answer my prayers of, you know, God, give me a love for my coworkers that extends beyond my desire for success in this world. Actually, just, you know, remove that desire for success in the world from me. And without bringing these things to light and addressing them, there's no way for God to actually do this in my life and answer these prayers. And so, um, yeah, I, I really just cried out to God and, and realized like from his kindness, like, wow, this is an encouragement that I don't have to try to love him out of my own strength, both God and my coworker, you know, um, I don't have to try to muster up whatever righteousness or goodness um, to offer him. But I realized I actually have nothing <laughs> to offer him. I really have nothing. I have nothing except maybe just an empathy or an understanding of, wow, I am just as insecure as you. I am just as prideful as you in my work. I am just as possessive about the work that I'm doing. In fact, probably more because I know better as a Christian and yet I'm still like clinging on to these little things. And so, um, yeah, I was just overcome with actually a deeper love for my coworker in that moment of realizing like, wow, you know, I totally understand you. I totally understand the insecurity, the selfishness. And 
you know, just as I consider you bound, like I'm just as bound by these principalities. We're all, you know, in the same boat here. And there's nothing inherent to me that makes me immune from being um, conformed to this world in the way that we value these things that the company tells us to value. Um, and so that was the first revelation of, wow, I, I really understand him. And I'm just so grateful that I get to you know, experience this with you, even though um, we were kind of pitted against each other. But nevertheless, like I, I just felt such compassion. And yeah, secondly, I realized that, wow, if God has redeemed me and God loves me despite my brokenness, it's how much more, you know, does he love those around me? How much more um, is his love so, so great for the lost in my company? And yeah, I, I was just so amazed that God could really just expand my understanding of his love um, through just revealing the sin, through revealing the darkness and the brokenness and just making me confront it instead of um, just pretending everything's okay or doing all the right things, but actually in the darkness, in the brokenness, that's where I was able to meet him and really see like, you are actually so good, Jesus. You are so good that you would die for us. And um, yeah, it just expanded my capacity to love so that it wouldn't be conditional on, you know, if my coworker doesn't get in my way, if my coworker is able to, you know, bless me and my job, then I'm going to preach the gospel. But no, no, no. Like, how do you actually love your enemies? How do you actually love those who have no interest in, in you know, what's best for you? It's, it's only possible with God. And I just realized, like, it's so amazing to realize how small our love is in and of ourselves and actually just Take a, let go of that and realize, you know what, this is just garbage. These are old pathways that are not useful anymore. It doesn't offer any life. It doesn't actually help anybody. Um, but to then, you know, just allow God to just take hold of your mind, take hold of your life and, you know, repent and just understand, you know, it is possible. Um, it is possible to be free from these things and you know, if, if God desires for me to be free from this, then so much more for everyone in my company and um, how amazing it is that he's able to redeem sinners like us. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to be so encouraging of all of you to not be afraid to confront sin um, because, yeah, this confrontation is really what allows you to understand the true depths of God's love for you. He doesn't just love you when you're doing well or when you're being righteous or when you're doing all the right things, but even in your sin, even in your worst moments, even in your darkest thoughts, the things that you're so ashamed to even tell anybody else around you, he still loves you. And he, nothing can surprise him. I think that was another thing of like being surprised by my own sin or somehow shocked, like, oh my goodness. But God's like, you're a sinner. I, you know, who's surprised here? Like nobody is surprised. And I think this unveiled just another layer of pride of, of thinking like there is something inherent to me that, you know, makes me less of a sinner than those around me or somehow because, you know, I said yes to God that, you know, I am not prone to these things anymore. But those are just such lies. And um, I think, yeah, God in his mercy just really helped to unveil those things. And rather than, you know, making me feel worse about myself. It actually helped feel so much better and like, wow, you know, I don't have to put this burden on myself anymore to strive to righteousness on my own because I know that's not possible. 
Um, so yeah, I just encourage you that whenever you feel condemned or have a thought that, you know, God has abandoned me or his love only goes so far, but it doesn't extend to this area in my life to really take every single thought captive and replace the lie with the truth that God has spoken to you in the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to go through a few verses that I really, um, have resonated with me as, as kind of battle verses. So the first one is in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And so it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yeah, so this verse includes every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God that we have in our minds. Um, at, at first, I think the context of this is more so around um, arguments against God, you know, maybe by other people or other institutions, maybe other religions. But actually, a big part of this is the battle that you have in your own mind about how you perceive Jesus and how you perceive yourself, even like in, in your walk with him. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon us to recognize, you know, what thoughts are from God, what thoughts are aligned with God's truth for us, and what thoughts are not. Um, and yeah, to be vigilant, to really sift through every single thought that passes through our mind, and to not let these thoughts that are against God or just allow us to engage in toxic thought patterns to continue to persist. Um, yeah, so... Um, another truth is Philippians 1.6. And um, Paul is saying, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is really encouraging that, you know, God has started a good work in us and he will bring it to completion. Um, we just stay the course. We just don't quit. And, you know, God will redeem us. God will sanctify us in his timing. And yeah, this verse really helped to address um, the frustration with the timing of, you know, constantly going through cycles of sin over and over and over again, but really recognizing, you know, there is hope and our hope is found in Christ and not in our own routines or rituals or our own ability. Um, another verse is Galatians 5, 26. Um, Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So yeah, this verse really sums it up <laughs> of, um, yeah, just falling into the conceit, the provoking, the envying of one another when we're just so focused on the things of the flesh, so focused on even the outward appearance of righteousness, um, but not actually, you know, living by the spirit and allowing God to invade our minds and, and form our thoughts and, um, yeah, just really change the way that we think in and out. Um, and the last verse that I want to share is, yeah, very simple, but um, in Romans 8, or let me just turn to it here. I feel like Sister Esther from <laughs> Winter Retreat with my laptop. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go through... Yeah, essentially the entire part of life in the spirit uh, from Romans 8. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So yeah, I really just want to reemphasize um, even verse five of, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. That it, it really is about um, what we set our minds on and how we, we think that really informs the way that we live. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to encourage you as a church um, to continue to set your mind to the things of God and the things of the spirit rather than the things of death to practically um, really just meditate on God's word rather than the things that the world keeps pushing into our culture and pushing into us like whether it's through social media or our friends or even toxic relationships or um, yeah different thought patterns or even places that we go to where um, just the atmosphere is so filled with with death um, I, I really encourage you to do whatever it takes to set your mind on the things of the spirit and really just let God transform you inside and out every single day. And yeah, to really understand just the depths of his love for you and yeah, just to be free um, in every sense of the world, to really be free. Um, so yeah, that's it for me. Um, I will pass it on to Brother Danny. All right, thanks Janet, and hello everyone. Um, yeah, so I guess um, I'll take a little different uh, uh, topic than what Janet was talking about, um, but maybe, you know, Holy Spirit will put it together somehow. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I think uh, maybe jumping off of uh, Janet's story about um, you know her work and coworkers, we are actually coworkers. Um, but um, I, I was not the one who blocked uh, Janet, so uh, at, at least there, there's that. But anyways, um, so uh, yeah, I, I mean you know Janet shared that. Uh, December and uh, in general, I feel like at our uh, company, uh, performance is like a pretty big uh, topic, or at least it's, it permeates the atmosphere um, and even affects, um, you know, people like us uh, who, you know, say that we're Christian and, um, uh, you know, say that we trust in God. Um, but anyways, so performance has been, you know, a lot on my mind uh, because of work. Um, and I'm sure for a lot of you, um, it's also, you know, something that's just in the back of your mind, whether it's uh, at work or 
um, at school. Uh, for a lot of you who go to you know pretty competitive schools, um, I'm sure there's always the hustle culture of like, you know, people are getting internships and jobs, and you know you always feel the need to perform and, and to catch up, um, whether it's inside or outside the classroom. Um, so at work, it's uh, you know really no different. Um, at our company, we have, uh, I guess, what we call like a performance cycle season. And I'm told they switched it to a yearly basis instead of uh, every six months. Um, but essentially, for maybe a month and a half or, or almost two months, you know, the whole company is like kind of uh, captured in, captured in this uh, performance mindset. You know, managers are completely gone for a month um, because they're essentially comparing you to. Uh, your peers, your colleagues, um, to determine you know what rating you should get. Um, you know, at the end of the year, um, there is, uh, as Janet mentioned, kind of a push to get all the things, uh, whether it's experiments or code or launches, um, you know, out the door, um, because you want to make sure it's reflected in uh, your next performance cycle. So, um, it's uh, I, I won't. You know, comment on like whether it's like good or bad uh, necessarily. Like the best way to do things, I, I think there's like some merits to it, but I think uh, one effect of it is definitely um, just how it weighs on people and um, just how people feel, and you know, including myself. Um, and so uh, I feel like so much so that um, in the past, you know, few weeks or months, you know, I feel like a lot of my days are sort of dictated by performance, or at least by work, right? Um, I remember, um, I think maybe at the Boston service uh, two weeks ago or so, Daniel was talking about how, you know, this church is mostly made up of um, Martha's, not Mary's, in, in terms of we all feel like we need to do some, um, something. Um, like, we can't really keep still, and, like, we feel that, you know, achieving something or feeling good is, like, you know, our, our way of worshiping God or um, even connecting with God is like doing stuff, is service, right? And uh, for those of you who are you know, members at this church, um, you obviously know there's no shortage of work uh, to be done here. Um, there's you know, tons of things people do uh, outside of, uh, I guess, just what you can see on Sunday. And um, I feel like a lot of this is uh, also can contribute to this kind of performance spirit or performance mindset of, you know, always needing to work. Um, and even my emotions, like being connected to, you know, how much work I achieved that day. Um, so a good day for me is like, I have a lot of meetings and <laughs> I get a lot done, right? Um, and it's just that feeling of accomplishing a lot um, that uh, I, I feel like is, um, uh, really determines like whether a day is good or bad. Um, so I guess um, I want to kind of challenge this in terms of, um, you know, asking like, do you know that sometimes uh, the, the performance or the results that we're seeking after, it's actually less to do with the work itself and uh, more to do with our heart and our posture towards God. Um, so, you know, Janet uh, talked a lot about uh, 
renewal of the mind, uh, transformation of the mind. Um, so I guess to complement that, I will uh, share about um, our hearts, our heart posture towards God, um, because thankfully we both have, uh, we, we all have, you know, hearts and minds. Um, so uh, I want to read from First Chronicle, uh, no, sorry, Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 16, um, since Janet did a great job of covering uh, the New Testament, essentially. Um, so we'll, we'll get some Old Testament in there, too. Um, so yeah, Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 16. Um, so this is, I guess, just for some context, um, this is uh, the time after you know, King David, after King Solomon, um, where the kingdom of uh, Israel, uh, or I guess Judah, uh, is split in two. There's Judah and there's Israel, and um, they are not on good terms with each other, uh, let's, let's just say. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll just start from here. This is talking about King Asa. Um, so starting from the first verse, uh, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, uh, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasure, treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, um, Hanani... Hanani, uh, the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to gain to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Um, amen. Uh, I will uh, stop reading there. Um, but uh, essentially, before this uh, passage, um, Asa, for the first 35 years of his life, um, you could argue, was a quite successful king um, in that the land had many years of peace and, uh, in his reign. Um, and I feel like you know, back then, there were wars going on all the time. Um, and so to have this sort of peace was something that you know, God gave to Asa and to the kingdom. Um, and so uh, what we see here um, in his last years, in King Asa's last years, is um, 
this uh, sort of reliance on, uh, it, it says, the, the passage says, reliance on the king of Syria. Um, but I want to, I guess, challenge uh, kind of our, our interpretation of this and um, encourage you to kind of see how it can apply um, to our lives or to what we do. Um, you know, uh, prior to this, it says that uh, King Asa relied on the Lord. Um, and Hanani, the seer, um, mentions, refers to uh, an instance where uh, the Ethiopians and the Libyans had a huge army and they went up against uh, King Asa. That's in the previous chapters. Um, but essentially, the Ethiopians had an army of one million people, um, which... Uh, if that seems like a large number to you, it is. Uh, I looked up, you know, comparisons to, you know, modern-day armies. And um, Russia today, their active armed forces is around 800,000 to 1.15 million people. So this, in this time, um, you know, the Ethiopians had an army roughly the size of what Russia might have today. And they went up against, um, you know, the king of Judah, Asa, and... Uh, of course, God gave them victory. Um, in fact, it says, you know, every single one of them, of those one million people were killed um, by uh, the army um, and, and by the hand of God. And so we see that, you know, Asa had in his past um, just this incredible reliance on God. And actually, um, if you think of it, it's not too difficult, right? Um, when we are sort of in a tight corner or when we're kind of backed up against the wall where, you know, we're fighting a million people with, you know, half a million people, it's two to one, um, you know, we're up against an impossible deadline or something that just seems, you know, too difficult on our own. Um, as Christians, like, it's fairly reasonable and I would argue, like, easy for us to actually in that time um, rely on God. You know, we can cry out to God and say, Abba, Father, and, um, you know, pray and fast and um, really seek him. And, of course, um, you know, in, in most cases, like, God does show up. Um, and, uh, you know, all of us, I'm sure, have tons of testimonies where um, that's the case, where God is faithful time and time again when we humble ourselves and um, come before him to rely on him. Um, but the beginning of this passage is an interesting thing where, um, at face value, like, it doesn't really seem like Asa is not relying on God um, in terms of, you know, this is normal. It seems like pretty normal, like, course of events. Um, when you're a king, you know, you have access to your treasury. So, you know, we all have bank accounts, right? We have access to some funds. Um, and, you know, we can leverage our relationships. King Asa leveraged this covenant um, that was generational um, in his family and said, hey, to this other king, hey, you know, this king is like, king of Israel is coming against me. Um, I'm going to use the resources that I have, you know, my bank account, my connections, my relationships, and, um, you know, uh, go up against my enemy. Um, go up against someone who, uh, you know, isn't, is essentially blocking, literally blocking King Asa uh, so that no one could go out, uh, go to or come from, um, come into uh, King Asa. Um, and so I think that's perfectly reasonable, right? Um, 
And uh, I see this, like, at least in my life, as, like, things like, you know, I'm going to do things on my own strength. I'm going to do things by uh, a playbook that I'm familiar with um, because I can, right? Um, I have resources, relationships. Um, you know, we can just go and, and try to uh, go up against some of the obstacles or, or the things we feel that, you know, are obstacles in our lives. And we see that actually King Asa was pretty successful, you know. Um, Beisha was, uh, had to stop building this city. Um, and actually, because, you know, Beisha had gathered all these resources to build that city, um, King Asa was just able to take up, you know, all the supplies and then build more cities of his own. So at face value, like, um, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. Um, and actually, he doesn't even fail. Um, it's actually quite successful for him, um, for him to do this. Um, and yet, uh, Han and I, uh, after he does this, goes to him and says, you know, actually, you, did, you, did, you didn't rely on, on God. Um, and because of this, you know, now you're going to have wars. And remember, um, Asa before this, uh, was relatively a king of peace. Um, and obviously that was good for the people in the land. Um, so I want to, I guess, uh, encourage us like in uh, the work that we need to do, um, even, you know, whether it's for church, whether it's for our, you know, our jobs, whether it's for school, whether it's for families, um, that, uh, you know, God is really for you in, in that. And so it's so easy to kind of focus on the results and, you know, what I can do and um, just the amount of work that I need to get through. Um, but uh, I just really want to emphasize, like, verse 9 here. Um, it says that, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro uh, throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Um, this is literally like a picture of God, his eyes seeking, like running to and fro the earth, um, throughout the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are blameless towards him um, so that he might give them strong support. Um, and uh, I'm not gonna necessarily go into like, you know, what makes a heart blameless uh, in this time, uh, but I see this a lot, um, I guess, in my life as like, you know, a heart that doesn't, a heart that is pure, a heart that doesn't have any deceit, a heart that really relies on God, um, whether it's something that's like familiar, very familiar to us in terms of, you know, we've done it, uh, we've done a certain, you know, piece of work or um, gone through a certain situation before and we feel like, you know, we can just get through it on our own. Um, but uh, just really encourage you that even in those times, um, and actually, especially in those times, because I feel like, as I mentioned before, like as Christians, it's so easy, or it, it's natural for us to go to God when we actually, you know, do feel like we need help, when we actually rely on God. Um, and that's great. Um, but even in the times when, you know, we feel like uh, we can do it on our own, or uh, it's a situation we've encountered before, and, you know, it's the same playbook over and over um, to still go to God, um, because God is looking to give strong support. God is looking to help um, those whose hearts are, are blameless towards him. Um, and so we want to be, uh, you know, people whose hearts are pure, 
um, towards God. Um, yeah, um, I think that's um, pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> uh, sorry if it was uh, short, but um, I can uh, pray for us um, to close. Um, yeah, I guess we can stand. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> Yeah, God, um, we just uh, thank you for this time, Lord, and we come uh, and just humble ourselves before you once again, God, um, to just say that you are good, um, you are faithful to us, um, you are holy and, and you are mighty, God, that there is no one um, who is like you, God. Um, and we just thank you, God, um, so much for uh, your faithfulness, Lord. Every time, God, uh, we know that um, when we run into times of trouble or things that are just seem uh, completely impossible to us, God, that we are so able to just uh, come run to you, Lord, um, as Abba Father and just rely on you, God. And we thank you that you are so faithful to just hear our cry, just as you did for um, so many people in, in the Bible, just as you did um, for us even um, many, many times over, God. Um, but we just come before you today and just uh, once again want to ask God for hearts that are blameless towards you, hearts that are pure before you, God, minds that are just renewed and just transformed in your, in your image, God, in your sight, Lord. Um, and we just want to consecrate, God, ourselves to you once again um, in our hearts, in our minds, God, with everything that we have, God, that no matter what circumstance it is, whether it seems so normal, um, so... Uh, easy and, and something that we can just accomplish on our own, God, that even in those times, God, that we would seek your face, Lord, um, because, you know, we know that you can do so much more, God, than we can ever imagine, um, that just doing life with you, God, is more fun, um, is more exciting and, and just more creative, God, than just the strategies and the things that we can rely on, um, than the strength that we can rely on, God, that will run out but we know that when we seek your face, God, when our hearts are towards you, are, are, are pointed towards you, God, and just seeking you, God, um, that you will provide strong support to your people, that you will provide strong support um, to every single person that is here, God. So God, we want to just consecrate ourselves to you again with our hearts and our minds, God, just pointed towards you. God, help us, help your people today to have hearts that are blameless, that are pure before you, God, that you are worthy, God, of a pure and just unadulterated um, bride and generation in this place, God. So would you just, um, yeah, touch us, God, touch our minds and our hearts, turn it towards you once again, that we would seek you, God, whether in a difficult situation or whether it's just normal everyday life and things that we know how to do and, and what to do. God, we just say that we need you. We confess that we need you, God, today and every single day. So would you just come and just fill your people here today, Lord.
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. You are holy, holy.
sing that again with you God and that you truly transform us God you transform our hearts and our spirits God and when we ask you Jesus to make us more like you Jesus you do it God that you do a work in our hearts and I pray God that in every person in this church you would continue to purify purify our love for you God that our love may be so beautiful and so pleasing before you Jesus I can just see 